0: thankful i'm thankful that winter doesn't last somebody say amen to that amen Amen. isn't that cool whether it's meteorological winter we're just coming through where it's cold and it's gray yesterday was so sunny but it was still chilly or when things are dead and they're dormant man that gets tiresome to many of us but also there's a winter that is also discouraging for us as people and that's known as the winter of the soul. Have you ever experienced the winter of the soul where your passions, your excitement, the new life that you seem to have before all of a sudden ceases and things go cold? Thank the Lord these seasons don't last. And you're looking up there. That's how some of us feel sometimes. We've been fruitful vines. We had a great harvest, but now where'd that go? But I'm here to tell you, God hasn't left you, and he hasn't left me. He's still there. In the winter of the soul, we're tempted to ask questions about our faith. Faith questions that really lead to doubt. We sometimes doubt our value in the winter of our souls. With nothing to show for, with no new fruit, no productivity, no outward activity to speak of, we feel as if our worth shrivels. We feel as if God is not there. We know God is silent. Sometimes it even seems like our brothers and sisters kind of move away. The ground of our heart seems to go fallow, and things are not growing there. And all we do is wait for that season of growth to come. Are you in waiting this morning? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 130, verses 5 through 6, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I put my hope, my soul waits for the Lord More than watchmen, wait for the morning. I don't know if you've ever waited for the sunrise to finally come. I remember once being out in the mountains on a solo, hadn't eaten, been alone for 24 hours, and how I yearned for the first rays of light to come. And as I prayed that they would come, knowing that that would end that solitude, and I remember just yearning and and, and praying for, and searching for the first rays of light, because I wanted that time to be over. We want the winter of our souls to be over. Here's the truth. God is confident, and he is supremely loving. You can be certain of that. He's not frantic. He's not in a hurry. Things aren't surprising him. And when we feel that it's God's job to respond to me quickly and to my request quickly, that will put me on a fast track to disillusionment, won't it? If, if I expect God just to move like that and take care of everything just like that, and I want him to do that, that's not a very mature way to think of God, and it's going to end up causing us to be discouraged and disillusioned. Many of us have found ourselves in this, and, and some of us struggle with that. Losing our faith in the confidence of God that he's at work while we're waiting. Yeah, but he is. The season of the winter of the soul, I'm here to tell you something. It develops something in us. It develops confidence. Confidence that we can trust God and confidence that we can trust that he's at work operating for our best, even though he's not operating in my preferred time frame he's still operating we can be thankful i want you to hear that again that's so important the season of winter encourages you and me to develop that confidence that confident trust that god is at work even if he's not operating within your preferred time frame he's still at work winter death barrenness dormancy scared scarcity waiting all those dark and heavy and life-sucking things, don't they? They just suck the life out of you. Right? They're not the priority in our discipleship. They really aren't. They're not the priority in our relationship with Jesus. They're not the focus even. Rather, the overwhelming thrust and focus and priority when you see the gospel, when you, re- when you encounter Jesus and, and you deal with your discipleship and even in your ministry and serving jesus the overall focus and overwhelming priority is abundant life that's what it is it's abundant life it's increasing fruitfulness and it's generous even sometimes sacrificial love it's out in an extreme it's an abundant thing and if you're not experiencing that it's okay because you could be in the winter of your soul, but you could also, it could just simply be because you don't understand how it all works. How how does revival happen? How does spiritual life really happen? Is it that I just come to a place that gets me all hyped and jacked up and entertained, and and I go away and feel like, okay, man, that must be spiritual life. No, because that doesn't last, does it? No. There's another way There are other things that we need to see. Here's the deal, people, for me as as well. Winter is a season, but it's only one of the four seasons. And in the bleakness and the cold waiting of winter, God is still there, he's still working, he's still preparing you for the coming seasons of revival, of freedom, and of fruitfulness. He wants you to be there. And he wants you to follow him into those new seasons. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to read the first four verses of a familiar chapter in the Bible, a very important chapter. It's the very last of the I am statements that Jesus made before he died. (coughs) Excuse me. So I want you to read with me. I am the true vine, Jesus said. Very powerful statement. And my father is the gardener. Some of your translation says bind dresser. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he, the gardener, prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, It must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me can't bear fruit unless you remain in me how can you remain fruitful then in your relationship with Jesus how can you remain fruitful year after year in your service of the Lord how can you make sure that the the buds will always be there and the fruit will increase and it'll do that even into your latter years. How? Well, this is how. This is how, and this morning we're going to talk about it. Here's the first thing. Whenever you begin to talk about discipleship and becoming disciple, and we always laugh about this because it's the same in all men's books. I don't know if it is the same for women in all women's books if you, from a Christian perspective. But they all, when they try to bring you into this right and growing in personal relationship with Jesus they all eventually, right up front in their book, they hit on the topic of what? Identity. Identity. That's what they hit on. They hit on identity. Why is it so important that they hit on identity and that our identity be clear? Well, for starters, a person's identity is so important because we can only live up to our identity. We can only live to the level of how we see ourselves. Do you believe that? it's true as a person as a man or woman thinks in their heart so they are i'm telling you you can limit yourself but you can also cause yourself to soar but you all, you have to be clear though and it has to be true what your real identity is right it's got to be honest it's got to be real so it's so important no one can live success, successfully beyond their true identity so we can't fake our identity, but we, don't, we also don't want to abandon our identity and not be clear about it. Therefore, Jesus begins this parable, and it's really kind of an extended metaphor, and it goes on into chapter 15. Many of you have read it over and over again. But he identifies himself as what? I am the true vine. He's clear. Crystal clear. I am the vine the true vine. That means there are a lot of other vines out there, a lot of other vines that claim to be the source and are asking, but I told you earlier in John fourteen six, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So I'm going to be clear with you. Knock, knock. I am the vine. Now I know I'm, I'm not trying to be weird or condescending by Talking like that, but it's so important for that to sink in sometimes for us. And then he identifies his father as the gardener. Isn't that what fathers always have to do? <laughs> you always got to be the gardener. It's what it means to care for. You got to be the vine dresser, some of yours says. And then he identifies us. And what does he say about us? He doesn't say, You're the vine, the source. He doesn't say, you're the gardener, the one who cleans and cares and tends. You know, you're the branch. The branch. I'm the branch. Say that to yourself. I am the branch. And I am, I have a different place than the gardener and the vine. I am the branch. The vine was one of the most renowned plants of Israel, it represented national peace and prosperity, and moreover, the vineyard is often used to identify Israel herself. It was classic. They were, vineyards and grapes were everywhere. The Psalms, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah, all used the figure of Israel as the Lord's vineyard. That's an important topic to research, this idea of vineyard, and how does that relate to our faith. Jesus himself, he carried on this identification of Israel as God's vineyard in the parable of the talents found in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can look for that. And also in the parable of the workers of the vineyard in Matthew 20. Therefore, for Jesus to say this, therefore, that I am the true vine, we see that he's announcing, I am the Messiah. I am the one you waited for. But more than that, he's saying, I am the true Israel. I am it. I'm the true model for God's people of what it means, of of what God originally intended at creation for man. I am it. I am your example. I am your source. I am your life. (coughs) Wow, that's huge. So we better sure have been that and be able to pull that off because that's a huge statement. And so he says, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. This nation of Israel, it's epitomized in the nation's true king, Jesus. Jesus is the one. If Jesus is the true vine, then his father is the vine dresser, the one who tenderly cares for the vine, cutting and pruning the branches so that the vine and the branches produce the maximum amount of fruit. And that's his goal to bring out their maximum fruitfulness. The Lord's on it when it comes to that. So as a branch, <coughs> we come to you and to me. Your life and my life are not our own. Isn't that true? Isn't that what you see when you, when you, when you consider the branch and its relationship to the vine and to the gardener? You've been bought at a price. By the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you were saved from sin, you were saved from death by his death, and and his blood shed on the cross. It purchased your life back. And you are a bought and branch. You now have the right to be a branch now because of what Christ has done for you and for me on the true vine. And therefore, because you are a branch on this true vine, the same power, the same fruit-bearing life, that raised Christ from the dead and was in Jesus is now in you. Say amen to that. That's your destiny. You're a branch. If you're a true branch, that life is flowing through you. It's in you, it's in me. Wow. And that's not all. We have the privilege and we have the honor of being under the expert and tender care of the vine dresser, our creator our Heavenly Father, and He's committed in bringing out the best in us. Wow. He is. Do you accept that? Think about that. Do I accept that? Do you accept that? Do we embrace Jesus' identity as the true vine? The true vine for life, for the world, for us. Do we accept and do we embrace the Father's identity as the vine dresser, the gardener? He is the one who really forms me and directs me and says what comes and goes in my life. Do you accept your identity as a branch? You are a branch. Man, that's your identity. That's your calling. That's your role. To develop such intimacy and connection with Jesus that his life will flow through you to bear much fruit. Are we working at that connection with Jesus? Is that the most prominent thing of our life? Are we growing in intimacy with him? Getting closer to him? Are we doing that? And in unaltered obedience to him and his leading, think about that, because that's the true measure. Do we have unaltered obedience to him and his leading? That's where we're going, that's what a branch does. Because it's really just the connection to the vine and the fruit, right? It's the go-between. Do you see yourself like that? See, if you see yourself like that, you can live up to your identity. I'm a branch. I can be a branch. Because I know I've got to come and accept. I've got to come and draw close. I've got to come and connect. And I've got to receive. And it's not going to come from me. But he's made me to do certain things, to go a certain direction, to bear certain fruits, And I'm gonna do it in in partnership with him. Am I a branch? Am I a branch? See, it helps us to grow. Boy, if you see yourself as a branch, and you're running around being a branch, you're gonna stay fruitful year in and year out. You begin to see yourself as the vine, or you begin to see yourself as the gardener, or the vine dresser, guess what? You're gonna have trouble and we have trouble sometimes, because we're branches who want to grow wild. We're wild branches. We are. And, and we need to be trained and groomed and helped. We really do. Do you see yourself that way? <coughs> well, here's the second thing. If we're gonna remain fruitful year after year. I grew up a lot, around a lot of vineyards in California, In fact, my mother worked for a vineyard for a time before I was born. And uh, then we had family members who had vineyards up in the foothills. And and it gave me a lot of opportunity to watch the cycle of pruning and growth and harvest. And Jesus said in verses 2 through 3, he says he cuts off, the, the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. See, God wants his vine to be fruitful, and he wants his branches to be fruitful. He cares. He wants us to be fruitful. But there's something we need to understand about how a a vine, a grapevine, works. So we've got to throw up on here um, the slide of the... There you go. Can you see it? (coughs) <coughs> this little slide, this diagram, will give you an idea, and we're going to kind of walk through it, about what a, a grapevine consists of. So you can see that it consists of a woody trunk with one or, one or more cordons. Cordons are these parts of the trunk that go this way and that way. That's the vine. The vine is the trunk. It's what Jesus calls the vine and the cordons. That's the vine. All right? And it says that the fruitfulness, though, doesn't, specifically, it comes from the vine, but it specifically comes from the canes, from the shoots, from the spurs that grow from these woody cordons. And you'll see them shooting up here, right? Those are the canes. And they've got little buds on them. And over here are spurs, because they've been chopped down. These were fruitful vines, or fruitful branches, but they've been cut down to their first bud, maybe second bud, so that they can grow to a new place. The old canes don't produce anymore. They only produce once, but if they were fruitful, the gardener cu- cuts them down so that they can grow and be fruitful again. So after harvest, winter comes when the leaves fall off and the, vines go, the vine goes dormant. During that time, before the buds come forth in spring, The pruning takes place. And so our text talks about two operations, one, the removing of unfruitful branches, and two, the the pruning of fruitful ones. The vine dresser looks at any of the shoots that didn't bear fruit the season before and because of disease or one reason or another or damage, and he cuts them off. And why do you cut off those old branches? You don't cut them off just because they didn't produce, but you cut them off so that energy isn't wasted and life is not wasted going toward those branches that can no longer produce or will no longer produce. You don't want to waste that on unfruitful branches, that life, because they'll bear no fruit. The fruitful branches, though, are pruned back, like I said, to the first two nodes on, there, on the old shoots so that these new canes can grow. And without pruning, <coughs> the fruit for the new season will be dramatically diminished. Because the vine will grow wild if it's not pruned. It'll produce some grapes, but not very much. Because the, the vine itself cannot get enough light. Can, can't get enough air. It's kind of choked off. And so f- few grapes will be produced. So they're cut back. Man. Pruning seems like kind of a drastic thing, doesn't it? Have you, you know, you prune your plants at home. I've got bushes that are huge, like this, but I take them down to little, only six inches off the ground. I have other flowers that are beautiful and they're big, and I cut those puppies down real low, too. And you think, oh my gosh, Kelly, I get in there with my electric trimmer, it's a big, long one, and I go to town. And it looks like I've scalped them. It looks like I've come in and created, through violence, have abused them. But what I've done is I've blessed them so they can be even more fruitful next season, right? So pruning does shock a plant. It does. But the hands of a skillful vine dresser knows how that pruning those plants is a way to keep that vine healthy and to keep those canes are those branches producing maximum fruit year after year year after year so what does jesus mean when he says cutting off every branch of me that bears no fruit what does that refer to well it refers really it referred in the very beginning to those who rebelled against the messiah who did not accept him and accept his kingdom in the parable of the talents They refused to pay rent to the owner of the vineyard. And Jesus concluded in that parable, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. That's harsh. But they were unwilling. And they were rebellious. But we don't really need to focus on that because you and I have chosen to trust. You've chosen to obey. So, after the pruner or the vine dresser gets rid of the dead wood, the vine dresser gets down to the exacting work of pruning each shoot or branch. And why do you prune? And I just want you to see that there are some very good reasons to prune. And God has this in his mind and his heart as he prunes you and me. So, let's, we'll put up there on the, go ahead and move to the next one. God prunes to simulate growth. He knows it will stimulate growth, so he allows pruning to happen in your life and mine. You also, the vine dresser prunes, to shape the overall plant and direction of the growth. The vine dresser knows where he wants that vine to grow. He knows what he wants to do from from start to finish, and so he, with his expertise, forms it and directs it through pruning. Number three, he prunes to provide maximum yield without breaking the branches with too many clusters for them to bear. It seems. well, why would you do that? Well, he does it because he cares about the branch, and he cares about the fruit. I've got this. Oh, man, I'm so giddy about it, and I'm trying not to spend too much money on it, but I have a great Samsumi mandarin tree. I had built this great planter for it. It can't survive winter, so it's sitting in Grant's sunroom. So that's the way I get Grant to take care of it most of the time. But it's the first season of it, right? And that that mother, he is just, there are buds everywhere. I'm telling you what, there are gazillions of buds all over these little branches. And guess what i got to do today, because you're supposed to do it once the buds fall off, you know, they get to maturity and then they fall off. There's fruit there and the fruit begins to build. You're supposed to, within one month of them falling off, you've got to go through and thin the harvest. You've got to take off 20 to 30% of the fruit. And you do that for a reason, because you want to maximize your yield. You want the fruit to be good. You want it to be big. And you don't want to break branches. You don't want to destroy the tree before it ever gets started. I don't know whether I'm getting any mandarins for real this season, because it's very early in the life of this tree, it might take till next season, but I am so hopeful, I'm gonna get at least one or two. I'm telling you. In fact, if I get more than that, I'm gonna feel like I got a bumper crop. (coughs) So, I, I know the excitement that the vine dresser and gardener has to say, oh my gosh. Rick's gonna have some big fruit this year. It's gonna be great. But he's gonna to have to have a little pruning and loss to create that big fruit. Oh, but the fruit will be worth it. It'll be worth it. And that's how the Lord looks at you. And He looks at me. Finally, it protects us against mildew and disease, it keeps us clean. And the Lord wants to do that. He wants to keep us clean so that we don't die and we're unfruitful. And lastly, it produces larger and better quality fruit if he prunes with more highly concentrated and flavorful fruit and flavorful grapes. <coughs> so therefore, that's why they prune. And, and the Father prunes our lives too like this. So we'll be healthy, we'll be beautiful, we'll have better quality, more abundant fruit. Let me ask you folks, are, are you open to being pruned by the Lord? Are you open? Are you willing to be pruned by him? Think about that. In your life, in your heart, in your ministry, in your family. You know, you and I may be spending a lot of time in pursuits and activities that are fruitless. Can you think of some right now? You go, man, that's fruitless. That's fruitless. That's a waste. That wastes energy. That wastes this. Maybe we can You know, it's good to take periodically to come before the Lord in discernment and ask Him in prayer to evaluate your weekly and your monthly commitments and routines. It's good to do that. And then to eliminate those things that are fruitless, that no longer lead to life. Maybe they once did, but they no longer do. And now you can eliminate them to free up your time and your resources to be more fruitful in the things that the Lord is directing you to. We have to be open to those things. We have to be open to that in our devotional life. Is the way you've always prayed, I mean, excuse me, prayed, prayed, has that kind of got cold? Well, switch it up. Or ask the Lord to lead you in prayer to switch it up, to bring new life to it. If you've never knelt while you've prayed, you might try that. It's a good thing and a good way to focus yourself. Or walk instead of sit. Maybe focus on praising the Lord rather than just asking him for things. Or maybe begin to intercede for people where before you only interceded for yourself. You know, there are different things that we could do. What about in our Bible reading? Maybe that's gotten kind of old and still, and you're not getting anything from it. Let me tell you, the spiritual discipline of meditation, of taking a large portion of Scripture and reading it over and over again and praying through it and breaking it apart and looking at each word and beginning to understand the heart and thrust of it, that bears fruit like nothing else in your life. That's where the rich things of God come. And many times you hear God speak loudly to you in your life as you meditate on a portion of Scripture for a whole week or a whole month. Man, if you never tried it, do it. It's awesome. And it's wonderful. And you you may kickstart your own walk with God. It may open you up. But ministries and churches, we even need to do this regularly. Come to the Lord. What needs to be pruned? What needs to be cut away? We can't keep doing things a certain way just because we've always done them that way. Well, that's just the way we do it here. That's not a good enough reason. Right? And just, and we can't just keep adding things to our ministry lineup without ever removing them. You can't do that either. You've got to remove some things that aren't fruitful. You just don't keep adding. We're reading and learning in our book that if you want to see God truly do something in your life, as a man, you've got to go with the Lord and ev- excavate in your life. Because something has to go if you wanna build something new. Do you agree? It's true. You have to remove something if you're gonna put something else there. You can't just keep adding things. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So what do we need to remove? What do we need to remove? So we can be more fruitful. See, this pruning is designed to free us of what hinders us, to free us of what holds us down and holds us back. It's also meant to increase our strength, that we we would otherwise, that strength that would be siphoned off and wasted. This pruning is designed to produce the spiritual strength necessary to withstand the storms that are going to come our way, and the Lord knows that they're coming our way, and it's to provide the strength to bear up, under the weight of ministry, even this pruning. So that you can keep serving the Lord even in your golden years. Rather, we must trust the vine dresser and be obedient, not not pruning rashly. Because some of us, when we're young, we get we're going okay, I'm gonna let God cut everything out of my life. Don't be rash about it. Let the Lord lead. Seek his season and seek his way, because he knows what's best. He does know what's best. And I'm here to tell you that sometimes God will glean from you your zealousness. He will. I'm here to tell you, I've been on the opposite zealous extreme bend in spirituality in my life at times. And the Lord just said, I never told you to do that. I never told you to do that. I never told you to read that much. I never told you to study that much. I never told you to fast that much. Well, no, I'm not fasting. You see, I'm losing weight now. But I never told you. A lot of times, God hasn't done that. He said, "This is what I want you to do. Will you obey me and do this?" Oh Lord, that's not very big or grand. "Ah, It's not about that. Will you do my will? Will you let me be the vine dresser, and will you be the branch? I guess I can be a branch. I wanted to be the vine and the vine dresser, too. You know, you do, too, sometimes. And we've got to be the branch and we've got to let God prune in His way in His season. Amen. Well, this is where we're stopping it. Because if I went on into the third point, it's going to take us quite a long time. And so I'm not going to, because I'm pruning. because I want it to be more fruitful, and I believe it's going to be more fruitful. I want you to stand with me. Amen? See, you can teach old dogs new tricks always. You stay growth mindset. Rather than fixed mindset, you can move and, be, and, be, and change. I want to ask you this morning, <clears throat> are you ready to remain fruitful year after year for Jesus as his followers? I would think most of us say, Yeah, I want that fruitfulness. I want to be there. Well, here's the deal. Do you wholeheartedly accept? Do you wholeheartedly accept and embrace Jesus' identity as the true vine? You're not it, and, and nothing else will ever be your true vine but Him. Do you accept the Father's identity as the gardener and the vine dresser? He's the one who makes those calls, not you, not me, and not other people in our lives. And do you accept your identity as the branch? I'm, come on, you're the branch. I know it doesn't sound super wonderful or marvelous just to be a go-between, but you're the branch. Man, you, glo- you bring glory to him by bearing that fruit. And you help him and partner with him to bring his glory to the world. Will you accept that? How are you doing in connecting with him every day and every week, growing in intimacy with him and growing in connection and intimacy and an unaltered obedience to him and his leading. This morning, if you've said no to him and he's asking you to do something, this morning, if you know you've been disobedient, you can get it right. The Bible says in John, 1 John 1, 9, confess your, if, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and I'm just, and I'll forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Get that disobedient, get it right. Fix it. Get it right. Get it right. So that you can be a branch and move on to fruitfulness. That's all you got to do is get it right. But have you accepted that identity? Have I accepted that? So that we can be fruitful. And anywhere there's disobedience, guess what? You're missing your maximum fruitfulness. So just tell yourself you're robbing yourself of it. Like, And it's foolishness. It's foolishness. Number two, are you receiving the Father's pruning and partnering with him to obediently rid yourself and cut away all that hinders? We have things that hinder. What are they? Be okay with cutting them away. Things that hold you down or hold you back. What are they? What attitudes do you have and childish ways do you have that need to go away? And you need to get over and find healing from. Then take the steps to find healing from it. Take the steps to get over it. Come and confess your sins to each other. Come and seek the counsel of others and seek the counsel of God's word. Come and pray together and keep walking that path toward getting over it and finding healing. It may not happen in a day. It may not happen in a week or a month. It might not happen in a year. But you can get on that path to healing. Amen? <coughs> and getting rid of those things that hold you down and hold you back. God wants you to be fruitful. <coughs> God wants you to be fruitful. He wants abundant of fruitfulness in you. He wants you to burst like these grapes. He wants that to be you with clusters so big that people just go, oh my gosh, man. And it causes them to come. And they want to be a part of that and they want what you have. God wants that for your life. And that's not exaggeration. It really isn't. Because when the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you and through you, You're going to attract others, and it's going to be kind of miraculous, and people are going to want what you have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together for God's blessing. Lord Jesus, thank you for this message that we've begun in John 15. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving it to us. Thank you for being our vine, and our shepherd, for understanding what we need to know and understand. God, help us to see that the way to life and fruitfulness is not some grand new revelation. It's just truly gaining the revelation that it is and seeing it and believing it and then obediently walking in it. Lord, help us to obediently walk as branches this week. Help us to get into this word and let it get into us. Father, help us to regain new life and new hope and to know that winter is ended and spring is here. It's time for new fruit to come. It's time for new growth to happen. But we have to submit first to the gardener. We have to submit first to his pruning and his cutting and his his training and his care. But once we do, we're on our way. So, Father, do that work within us that needs to be done. Do it, Lord. Have your Father do it. Help us, Lord God, then, to follow you as your branches, that we would, as individual believers, but also as a church of branches, that we would grow and declare your glory. So bless us, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, we also ask today that you would pour out your grace on all those that are on vacation and experiencing spring break to watch over them and keep them safe, to bless them with your enjoyment and your love. Take care of them, Lord, while they're away. Lord, we also pray for the Ukrainian people. And we pray for our people, continue to to give us wisdom, continue to help us to come together, to understand the role we are to play. But to keep praying for your glory and your will to be done. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. So, Father, lead us and guide us that we would join you to pray and to act as you desire um, in the days that we are living in this time. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, Amen, Amen.